you are listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in Fossombrone. Yeah, not bad with a guy with COVID, is it? So he told me he told me that yesterday that he had COVID. I said, right, okay, stay away from me then. Buonasera, Brian. On that mischievous note. Not the Buonasera, the bit we heard before that. Garen Thomas talking about Primoz Roglic. We're going to start tonight's podcast. What a day it's been, full of intrigue. Started with lots of debate about helicopters. Who'd taken a helicopter, why they'd taken a helicopter. Filippo Ganna leaving the Giro d'Italia because of COVID. And then speculation about speculation. Primoz Roglic having roglified Remco Evenepoel. Then rode into Fossombrone this evening and meanwhile we were hearing that maybe he had COVID I don't know we're going to debate this Brian we're going to hear more about it we're going to hear more from Geraint Thomas and we're going to hear from Jumbo Visma what they said about these rumours and um, lots more as well a fantastic stage win for Ben Healy but Brian first of all as per tradition what happened to my tail of the tapper? You're being an amateur epidemiologist and I'm like trying to do my Brian, work. Brian, Brian, that was just, I'm just setting the scene, but you traditionally set the scene for us. You tell the listeners where we are um, and also today, pertinently, what, what can we smell? Barbecue, Daniel, or as they would say here, a la brace. So we're sitting here in a very un-COVID situation with... No social distancing. People here have been watching the stage, and they probably some of them have been watching it from here. A lot of benches, the specific smell of arrosticini, sausage, hot dogs, hamburgers. There's beer, including the one that you have. There's all kinds of uh, atmosphere here, and it's sort of like a mellow evening here in Fossombrone. It's been a confusing day, certainly from a geographical point of view, because I think, well, we started in... Where did we start? We started in Abruzzo. We went through Lazio. We went through Umbria, we're now in Le Marche, and what we can smell is the typical food, the emblematic food of Abruzzo again, Arosticini. Yeah, so at least if, if we don't know where we are, we can just smell and see what's up. Oh, extremely conf- confusing. Um, Brian, um, I'm going to get the, the big sort of tangent out of the way early on. Um, today wasn't a great day for Remco Evenepoel, was it, in Fossombrone? Should we be surprised? Well, perhaps we shouldn't, because Fossombrone... It doesn't have a particularly good relationship with Belgians. Why? Because uh, in 2005, a fashion magnet, high street fashion magnet, some say the founder of, of sport couture, Dirk Bickenbergs, um, decided to buy Fossombrone FC, the football club. And he, we had an interesting vision for it. He was going to try to turn it into a vehicle for his fashion brand. They were an amateur team and he wanted to send them up through the divisions and they were play, playing in Serie D which is sort of amateur football and he thought they could get all the way to Serie C and they, over the course of sort of five or six years, they almost did it. In, the, in that time he changed the kit, he made it this very fancy sort of blue swirl design he hired a lot of um, conspicuously good looking players um, oh I remember that campaign basically fashion models and um, they did pretty well for quite a while but then he was investigated for tax evasion for evading 11 million euros in tax and he said 
the, he, meant, he meant well. Well, he said that the inland revenue in this country is not worthy of a civil country. And he left and he slammed the door and he left and it all went very sour. So Fossombrone and Belgium don't have a particularly happy history together. Um, and the Belgian colleagues I spoke to today weren't very complimentary about Dirk Bickenberg's fashion either, which no, Bickenberg's no. fashion brand survives to this day. Brian, well, he was actually part of the Antwerp Six, which is correct. An extremely important movement Excellent of knowledge, uh, Brian. members out of uh, the Antwerp Royal Academy of Fine Arts, which included some of the most important contemporary designers, like Andy Mullemeister, Dries van Noten. I hope you're listening to this. Matthew Brichel, him and I used to go to Dries van Noten's shop in Antwerp, which is one of the most beautiful places to buy expensive menswear clothing. I don't do that anymore, but uh, the stuff I had that I can't fit anymore, I gave to Matthew, actually. Brian, I think that's enough of our tangential trivia on Fossombrone. Let's get to the tail of the tapa. Off you go. It's time for the tail of the tapa. Thank you very much, Daniel. So, as you mentioned, uh, this is the people that are still looking for Dick Bickenberg, apparently, the police coming here. So, stage eight from Terni to uh, Fossombrone, 207 kilometers. Two uh, non-starters, uh, Philip Ogan, as you mentioned, with uh, out with COVID, and Lars Fenderberg from Group Parma FDJ. Very hard start, a lot of cat and mouse, Peloton split in two, very high pace from the beginning. 13 riders ended up getting away with the best placed rider being Warren Begill at 6.39 behind Lechnerson. It was a strong group, including uh, riders like Carlos Verona of Movistar, Ben Healy from EF, the brother of yesterday's uh, win. Mattia Baez, and speaking of brothers, also the brother of another stage winner, Valentin Paripantre. Before the hilly finale, the gap was 4.30. Ben Healy was the first to attack the group with around 50k to go, was the first time up the Cappuccini climb. Further down uh, on the road, the, the GC favorites were all moving to the front of the climb with Ineos setting the tempo. On the first ramps of the longest climb today, the Monte della Cesare, the Healy had a gap of little more than a minute to his chases. And five minutes to the group of favorites, which had by then reduced itself to around 50, 60 riders. And the chasers group was quite reduced as well. Anyways, in the favorites group, Jumbo Visma was setting the pace. Uh, young German Hessmann was doing a big pull, Ineos behind him. And um, Lechnerson, surprisingly, I would say, maybe, was also uh, looking rather okay at the top of Chesene. Healy had 143 to his chasers, 525 to the big group, and he went on to win the race. I'll just finish that up real quickly because it was such an impressive ride from such a, a young rider. So he he won the stage. Filippo uh, Sana, the Italian champion, was uh, second. And um, the real, I think, surprising thing to me was how Healy was able to stay away for 50 kilometers, winning such a hard uh, hard stage. And sorry, it was actually Derek Gee who, uh, who finished second. Filippo Sana was third. Healy is seven months younger than Evenepoel. And coming out of a very impressive spring campaign, he was here then everywhere. He was second to Pogacar in Amstel Gold Race. He was fourth in liege bastogne liege But while that was about to happen with Healy winning his first Grand Tour stage, there was a Bombardier Roglic. Uh, he Not first a Bombardier Maradona. No, a Bombardier Roglic. a bread roll filled with cheese and pancetta like and we actually, had in Naples the other on day. On that, he actually stopped for a nature break before he, without any help from his teammates, went back up uh, to the favorites group. And uh, Lechnerson was the first to try and stay with him, but got dropped. Evnipol at first didn't really seem to panic, but then surprisingly, Garen Thomas and Tau left him as well and uh, bridged up to Rockledge. And they worked together, uh, especially at the end, and they managed to gap 
Remco Evenepoel with 14 seconds. So yeah, the questions are Allegio. Was it weakness? Was it was it bad timing, etc.? We will probably talk about that later on. Andres Lechnerson keeps the pink jersey. Some uh, important movements in the GC. Roglic moves up to third. He's now my reference here is Evenepoel. He's 30 seconds behind Evenepoel, 38 behind uh, Lechnerson. Garen Thomas moves up one spot. King Hart moves up one spot. Damiano Caruso moves up one spot, and on the on the way the other direction is Parapantre moving down four spots, and Alexander Vlasov moving down one spot. So quite the quite the stage, quite and it wouldn't take much now. to be more interesting than yesterday. But I think we saw some really good bike racing, quality bike racing today, both in the breakaway with a spectacular win, and among the GC favourites. Well, Brian, two of the last names you mentioned were Geraint Thomas and Theo Gegenhardt. Let's dive straight into that mischief, shall we? Let's hear from Gegenhardt and Thomas, followed by Mark Rafe, the Jumbo Visma Direct Sportif, who, well, he had some questions to answer, as you're about to hear. Yeah, well, we said in the meeting that we want to try to take time on anyone we can. Um, but also stay safe and uh, ride our race, and we did all of those. So, yeah, it was was really good. You know, I think it's very hard to make plans for this race because there's two big favourites, but then uh, a lot of teams on a similar level, and we have a strong team. But it's you know not always easy to use it. Um, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas, and in the end, uh, we just have to do our race and uh, yeah, sometimes be patient and sometimes go and like we did today. Um, so yeah, we keep doing that in the next days. He went a lot harder than I really wanted. I tried to just ride my pace. I stayed with Remco and then K to go Remco. Tried to close and squeeze and I just kept going. Let him go. Look behind and like uh, like Almeida and Dunbar, people like that. So let them do a bit, bide my time. And uh, Teo was just thinking exactly the same as me basically. And we'd both accelerated the last I don't know, 400 meters or so. He closed the Roglic, I was 10 meters off. And foie, Roglic went over the top. And uh, well, I knew I just had to close it there. Did, and uh, yeah, the three of us came to the finish, but it was hard to give him a turn because so many corners on the descent, you didn't want to be dive bombing him and taking us all out. So then we came through at the end, but that was a good day because uh, Early on, the first time we went up that climb, when uh, the plus was riding, I didn't feel great. But it's kind of like I'm always like now, kind of a slow engine to get going these days. All sorts of rumours going around about Primoz's health. Some of them, I think he's starting them, um, but he looked okay today, didn't he? Yeah, not bad with a guy with COVID, is it? So he had told me, he told me that yesterday that he had COVID. I said, like, oh, right, okay, stay away from me then. We've heard that a few times. Are we to believe him or does he do this kind of thing often? Well, he always says he's got bad legs and, ah, the race is harder. Eh? This is too hard, eh? I go home. Then he goes and wins by 10 minutes. So who knows with him, but it's all mind games. Almeida said to me he had bad legs today as well. And I just think, well, if you really did, why would you tell me? I wouldn't tell him. But In, in your opinion, today Remco showed for the first time a little sign of weakness or it's not really significant what happened in the final? Ah, when it comes to Remco, you expect him to be the one lighting up the race. So when he doesn't and he loses a bit of time, it's a bit of a surprise. But end of the day, it's seconds, you know, and 
might be an off day, but he's a special, special guy, so certainly not get carried away there. Marcus, just wanted to ask you, um, Garen Thomas, we've just been talking to him, he said that pre-Mars, he said, oh, not bad for a guy with COVID. Yesterday he told me he's got COVID. Um, <laughs> Garen said he didn't know whether he was joking or not. Um, what can you tell us? Does Primoz Roglic have COVID? <laughs> I think that uh, the whole bunch is talking about it already for uh, for a long time. He's starting the rumours, it seems like. Primoz is the one starting the rumours. Uh, I think that it was Koen Bauman that came on the car uh, maybe four or five days ago that uh, to say that the rumour is going around in the bunch that Primoz is having COVID. And uh, I, I think it's quite funny. I think it's also, uh, I mean, yeah, if everybody wants to believe that, then, uh, then they should believe that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's it, actually. But indeed, he, he didn't look bad for a guy with COVID today. Um, how satisfied were you with that ride and, and how much of it was planned? Uh, yeah, it was the plan to, uh, to go for it today. I mean, yesterday we also wanted to go for it already in the final, but then the headwind played a role and, yeah, and then you can try something. But yeah, where do you ride to eh, with, uh, with that headwind? So then we, uh, we just decided to wait and, uh, and look again for the next chance. And that, that was today. I mean, uh, in 2019, he showed already that he was one of the strongest. And he knows the climb, he knows the area, uh, he knows the final. And um, yeah, with the team, we, uh, we made a plan. Uh, we did exactly what we planned. We, we tried to make it hard on the climbs and we made it hard on the climbs. And then the goal was to, um, to in the end, that he would attack on the final climb. Also to see how he is compared to the others. But also with the goal, of course, to... Yeah, to take time on uh, on many other competitors, and and in the end, we are happy that uh, we exceeded in that. And do you draw confidence as well from the fact that Remco, well, he seemed to be struggling a little bit at the top of that final climb. Yeah, but on climbs like this, it's um, when you go one time maybe too hard. You're also paying that towards the end, and um, you're not recovering anymore. And I think also that what you saw with the Ineos guys, they really paced it well, and they also went yeah fast towards the top. Everybody knew also what, uh, what, what was coming on the, on the climb, but they did it well. And yeah, it's, it's not only a race. Yeah, I, I hear the question of, of course a lot. And um, it also comes, I think, from the race that they did together in, uh, in Catalonia. But um, yeah, it's, it's not only a race, a race between them, but it's a race between a lot of competitors. And uh, we are happy to take time on, uh, on more guys. And uh, it just gives a confidence boost to the whole team and to him that... Uh, yeah, the way how we raced and, uh, and what the result is today. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. A Grand Tour is all about recovery and science in sport. Our sponsors, of course, can help you recover from your ride. Go to scienceinsport.com for the full range of products. But how do the riders recover after a difficult stage? We asked Pavel Sivakov of Ineos Grenadiers. You want to have some carb drink with protein quite quite quickly before after you ride. So, yeah, we'd have um, yeah, just uh, some protein from SIS mixed with, uh, let's say, like depending on, on the days. Um, and it, like the carb drink uh, or a 20 gram or a 40 gram, depending on the day after really. Uh, if if you really need a, a higher carb intake, uh, I would go for the 40. If not, then the 20. Or some days you don't even need carbs. So yeah, it's, it's, it's like this. Like we always have the same amount of protein. We play around with the carb intake post post race, depending on the stage and the stage after. 
Well, Brian, the key crucial question that everyone's asking tonight is who does a better Primoz Roglic impression, Garant Thomas or me? You know what I mean, huh? I think uh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to say that you actually do a brilliant think, Roglic. I think so. I always um, I always kind of get stage fright on the podcast. Now. I think my in real life, my Primoz Roglic impression is far superior to the, what, the one that the listeners hear. Brian, what are we to make of that? You heard... Mark Rafe there bursting out laughing and it's, it would be very much in character for Primoz Roglic to, well it sounds as though it's, it's in character anyway for him to well exaggerate how bad he's feeling generally speaking and we'll have this running dialogue with opponents as well so it, it would not surprise me if he's but trying to mess with their mind a little is bit that, Is Roglic like a real spin master? And I mean it's great how far we... Is it the double bluff? Is it the triple bluff? I mean, if you take Jombo Visma's COVID policy into consideration. Well, this is actually a, a pertinent point because a few people have pointed out on social media that uh, under Jumbo Visma's internal protocol, anyone with COVID would be taken out of the race. That's the way they have certainly conducted themselves prior to now. Um, officially, of course, as far as the race is concerned, as far as the UCI is concerned, there are no dictates about this anymore, are there? No, and uh, I mean, there's... We've come quite far since, you know, the pandemic basically put a halt to anything, including our, our lives and cycling for, for quite a while. If he's had COVID, uh, it's, it's not done him any, uh, anything bad because he's, he's actually come back quite significantly. We saw him a little bit off the boil on the, on the opening time trial, but today he was back in his old... He brought Roglic back, really, and I think the... Um, whether he, I, I, first of all, coming back to the Yombo policy, I don't think that he's he has actively now COVID. I don't really believe that. He's um, he's on a team that's been. It's also a little bit of a bad joke, you could say, because he's on a team that's been basically trying to like do their best and like keeping things together because the riders going back home before they even started a bike race. So, or maybe there's just a side to Roglic that uh, a, a pleasant side and a great side. I'm, I'm uh, no disrespect to Roglic. I like him as a rider and as a person, from what I can tell. But this, this is a jokey spinmeister kind of a side to Roglic that I'm well, completely not aware of. As I said on Twitter earlier, I think he's probably tested policy for mischief more than anything else. But Brian, just um, as a former spin doctor, as a former communications chief, if you had gone back, to, if you were Jumbo Visma's head of media, head of press, and you got back to the bus today and you'd seen that Garant Thomas had said these things, and this is something that Primoz Rogers, he's been having, a, possibly having a bit of fun with this, with a few riders, would you take him aside and say, Primoz, this is, this doesn't, this is not a good look, it doesn't really help us, or, I mean, fortunately for them, the situation was diffused perfectly there by Mark Rafe with humour. Yeah, humour yeah. is a great device to diffuse this kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good... You, it's great to diffuse it with, with, with humour and to be fair, uh, I don't think Roglic meant anything degrading to people suffering from you know an illness to put the world to a halt. It's, it's, it's not something to joke about. But to get rid of it, I think it's fine to, to, to ease a little bit off and then use humour to, to put it in its right place. I promise we will get to the racing in just a second. But the second issue around which there was a lot of speculation this morning was how riders got off the mountain, got off Gran Sasso d'Italia yesterday. The UCI put out a statement um, condemning 
Remco Avenapol and others, for example, Bahrain Victorious, they had riders go off on a helicopter, in a helicopter. And, you know, there was talk of, well, the UCI referred to one of their own documents in which they call upon race organisers to guarantee or to sort of safeguard um, the, the fairness of the competition by making more or less equal arrangements for everyone. And also to be so socially conscious, environmentally conscious. Um, what I can tell you is that every team was offered the opportunity, they would have had to pay for their riders to get off the mountain in a hel helicopter. And some you'd, pay, you'd pay to get up on the mountain with yes, the helicopter. You like and it so much. And many of them didn't take that option, but some did. Jumbo Visitmar didn't take that option. Is there Roglic a price tag to this? I heard figures earlier, but I can't verify them. Um, I, I, we're talking a few thousand, um, and I'm not sure whether that's for that was for a whole helicopter or for a rider. I think it was for a helicopter. Um, Jumbo Visma didn't take that option. Ineos Grenadiers didn't take that option. It was suggested in a few places today that they didn't take it because of, for environmental reasons, that's not the case. Um, it would and, be kind uh, of nonsense when they're sponsored by a car manufacturer. It, yes. And I also heard that some teams had forgotten or not paid attention when this offer was made. Um, to take helicopters and regretted that subsequently. They they did lose a lot of time last night. It took them a long time to get off the mountain and with hindsight, they would have acted differently next time. Brian, I think that's enough about helicopters and speculation about speculation. Should we wind the clock back to earlier today and hear from Lionel and the Pazzo Cappuccino? It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break. La Pausa Cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Buongiorno. Hello, Lionel. Ciao, How are you doing? Ciao, Daniel. Very well, thank you. Very well, thank you. Uh, just after we recorded yesterday, uh, an Astana rider, I think it was Samuele Battistella, wasn't it, was, was handing around some arrosticini, some little lamb kebabs. And uh, that, yes. that took me back to the, the imbroglio of our own when I served arrosticini with a sort of garlic aioli sauce. Um, during our Giro, and you went absolutely spare at the at the thought, but I thought I've it went quite well together. I've completely, have, I've completely effaced this from my mind. <laughs> I'm so traumatized. Was I? Um, I don't know whether that had anything to do with Joe Dombrowski, his teammate, of course. Joe Dombrowski's birthday, which we missed. We didn't, we didn't mention that, and we didn't celebrate it. But I saw, well, lucky Larry, the Motown Maestro, and Joe this morning they bumped into each other in the mix zone and Larry wished Joe a happy birthday for yesterday which we should do as well yeah but what about the race so Daniel I mean it was I thought pretty predictable we never really learned do we with the Giro this has been such a Giro the most Giro Giro I can remember almost uh, uh, all of that anticipation about the first big mountain stage to Gran Sasso d'Italia but everything on the road book told us what was going to happen 218 kilometer stage long way if you had Veloviewer open you knew that there was going to be a headwind on a lot of the climb and so not that surprising that it was fairly decaffeinated in terms of of the action but this is this is the Giro d'Italia isn't it the tension ramps up unfortunately unfortunately yeah and we had that polemica we had that kerfuffle as I called it I think the other day with Mauro Veni gesticulating wildly with a big plaster over his nose um, <laughs> about well about Rye TV's very hasty assessment of a, what they thought were a boring first couple of days but it is a bit of a problem isn't it Lionel I, I do think that conceptually the Giro might have to rethink 
No, I, what they're doing no, in terms of routes. I don't know. I'm not sure because I think the problem is we have the tour, then we have the Vuelta, which is you know obviously a, you know often a lot more explosive, um, and then we get to the Giro and we're anticipating fireworks from the start but it's never really like that i remember being there 2016 2017 2018 2019 it's always been the same and in the last week when they're going hammer and tongs at each other we will kind of forget the 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 sort of lukewarm nature of this early phase i mean there hasn't been any opportunity for roglic to roglify anything yet we haven't really seen the two big riders go up against each other on the road you know obviously they they faced off in the in the opening time trial but i'm thinking back a week ago daniel you went to visit rocky marciano or the statue of rocky marciano one of the finest heavyweight boxers of all time and i think the giro of all the grand tours is the closest to a a a big heavyweight title fight you know it's going to last 12 rounds you know it's probably not going to be but 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 manifestly you don't a heavyweight title fight usually end in the first round well they do now i'm thinking about the six you know the real showdowns of 60s and 70s you know the the kind of the the fights where two very evenly matched boxers you know a war of attrition early on it's, it's it's that type but of heavyweight they, title fight not not the sort where there's the, the knockout blow in the first round and that's what I like about it mm, but are Remco and Roglic just shadow boxing just sort of flim flamming around the ring at the moment and not even throwing a punch let alone landing one I mean is it not is the Giro not in danger line of becoming Milan San Remo writ large it's all about anticipation until the very dying moments well, is that not poss- the, the path that it's on? Possibly, but I think the beauty of road cycling is that there are differences. It wouldn't do if they were all the same. And I think the Giro is embracing this kind of, you know, imploring people to be patient, imploring people to enjoy that sense of anticipation, Im- imploring people to enjoy a day where, frankly, there was very little to enjoy. I nevertheless enjoyed mm. it. Gran Sasso looks amazing on TV. Uh, the, the battle for the stage win really kind of captured the heart, I thought, because it was three riders who'd never won a bike race going up um, for what will be a career-defining victory. And so there was still plenty to enjoy. You just have to look a little bit deeper, I think. And I think that's what you, what you did in the podcast last night. But... You know, Remco Evenepoel and Primoz Roglic are very much hiding in the shadows at the moment, not so much shadow boxing. Um, we've, all we've really seen from Evenepoel so far, other than the time trial, is, uh, you know, the quite Italian hand gestures the day he fell off twice and uh, sort of waved his hand at the Sudal Quickstep team car. We haven't even seen that from Roglic. Well, whatever happens today, we've got a helicopter gate to entertain us. But, uh, Lionel, just a final (laughs) note on the route and how entertaining the Giro has or has not been so far. I mean, earlier today, and the the weather itself is giving the whole race a bit of a subdued vibe. But we we went through a beautiful part of Italy today from the start to the finish. And we were going on the, I think it's a superstrada, not an autostrada, um, from sort of Foligno north. You and I have, have 
have taken this road before towards Assisi and, and passing these beautiful Umbrian hill, hilltop towns like uh, Trevi, particularly. It's sort of uh, an, a walnut whip. Do you remember walnut whip? Very much. So, uh, yes. it's gorgeous, yeah, gorgeous um, town perched on a, a sort of conical hill. And you think of the geography and topography of Italy. And if there's anything unique about Italy, or one of the, certainly one of the unique things about Italy is the quantity of beautiful hilltop towns and they're the places where stages of Tirreno Adriatico often finish and also in the Giro however maybe not as much uh, not as often as I would like or would make the race more exciting Um, and I found myself longing for one of those sort of two three kilometer climbs to a finish um, ripe for roglification which is not to say that you know my preference lies with him but a bit more of that is needed. Oh, patience, Daniel, patience. Don't worry, it will all kick off at some point. Uh, we'd better crack on because uh, my cappuccino is yes. going cold here. And three important bits of business to tell you about. First of all, a bit of a corrections corner. Brian described our very good friend Matt Rabin as a soigneur at EF Education Easy Post in yesterday's episode. Uh, someone who may or may not be Matt Rabin has got in touch to point out that he's actually head of athlete care. This is a bit like describing the Baron as a footman, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> happy to set the record straight there. A, a very quick mention for MAP, our clothing partners, of course. They have the Cycling Podcast Collection uh, eventually there's going to be some nice weather here in the UK and you want your short sleeve jerseys for the summer, go to map.cc to shop the Cycling Podcast range. They've also got the Alt Road collection if you're going to do a bit of gravel riding or adventure cycling or the training collection, which is uh, some really versatile, very comfortable kit. So check all that out at the Map website. And very lastly, Daniel, we're hoping to do a press conference episode on the rest day. So listeners, get your questions in now, please. You can either record them as a voice note or email them as a, you know, just a written question. Contact at thecyclingpodcast.com. But if you do want to ask a question, you need to do that pretty much now. Lionel, no more questions from me. That's, that's about it for today's Pausa Cappuccino dopo le undici. We will speak, no doubt, tomorrow. Indeed. See you tomorrow. Well, Brian, I feel rather silly. Um, not for the first time, <laughs> not for the first time today, You're or, in my, life, or, or in my life generally, um, because Lionel and I there, we were discussing how this race had not flickered into life in the way that maybe some of us had hoped up until today. And well, we did have a good stage. We had a cracking stage, um, undeniably, I think. And I feared this morning going around the team buses, talking to riders. I feared that we might get a bit of a stalemate, but. Well, Primoz Roglic and Jumbo Visma, they they responded to our clamour for a bit more aggression in this Giro d'Italia. Yeah, they certainly did. I think the thinking about Roglic's attack and most importantly how Evenepoel was not able to counter it, if you were to, in the context of spin or trying to explain your way of if it was based on a decision. You remember that um, intermediate sprint where Roglic was trying to Roglify a few seconds from Evenepoel and Evenepoel actually beat him to it and said, well, I didn't I didn't do that time trial at that high level just to like lose two seconds here and there. So it also, that to me means that Evenepoel doesn't want to lose seconds anywhere and he'll go to, through great lengths to avoid that. Or else he wouldn't have said that or done that on that interme- intermediate sprint. 
he's still ahead and he's still basically on the eve of his favorite discipline of sorts with a long time trial which is yeah, we'll talk about that later one of the most important stages of this Giro I really like the fact that this causes some excitement and speculation I would even say regardless of what happens in the time trial his team was way better today he had four guys up there in the final they didn't they didn't look as decimated at all as we've seen earlier and and that's that's very important that's a, that's a huge sigh of relief I think on on their end but it also you know, we, we've seen there was like an alliance between Ineos and Roglic an alliance that could potentially also you could add Team UAE to that they just didn't have the legs to do that today so it is it's not Roglic against everyone no one is riding for, for other teams for anything but to try and gain advantage themselves but it does open some tactical perspectives for what we can potentially see for the rest of the race and I really like that we heard earlier Mark Rafe suggest that it wasn't a climb from which we should draw too many conclusions. It's an unusual climb. I noticed on the profile, both of the climbs, the uh, Cesani and, and the Cappuccini, that they were very irregular, some steep ramps, some flatter bits. But then we heard Garrett Thomas also say that, well, usually on a day like today, on climbs like that, in response to attacks like that, Remco would be right at home. and He'd he be counter-attack and drop yeah, them. Yeah, that's, and that's what I expected from him. So... I think we did see a bit of a chink in the armour. Could this be, I mean, people always say that it's the, the, the hardest day is two days after a crash. It was two days ago. That It was two days ago, wasn't it, that he had his crashes. Um, was it two days ago, Brian? Time travels both fast and slowly sometimes on the Giro. It was two days ago. Um, it could be symptomatic of that. And I guess we won't have to wait too long for Well, do you know what? Arms. It also, it's, we, you know, we have these figures now in cycling, these riders who are you know we're in a way in a golden era of cycling we have riders like Pogacar, Evan de Poel, Van Aert, uh, Van der Poel and we it's almost like we can't mentally imagine them being dropped mm. we can't mentally grasp a scenario where they aren't always the strongest rider and 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 when just when we see the tiniest bit of hesitation for them to close a gap or something immediately it's almost like the the world is turning the other way around it's, it's I just checked and it, it doesn't turn the other way around but it does it does give uh, a sense of excitement for what's to come and that, I think that's the most we can make of it so in that sense I agree with the Jumbo uh, Visma Diaz and Brian we've talked a bit well we talked quite a lot yesterday about Jumbo Visma how strong they were or they weren't I'd notice a few of their riders getting dropped towards the end of yesterday's climb um, and well we, we know that they were depleted when they came into this race for various reasons they they will have taken a lot of heart not only from Primoz Roglic's performance but the way the team performed generally but also they made a bit of a discovery today a, there was a bit of a revelation for Jumbo Visma today in the performance of Hessmann the young German super impressive he was I mean the way he managed to first of all keep a pace so high that no one else could really do anything because I think they had plans with Roglic so then they wanted to make it as hard as possible and there were a bunch of guys dropping, and there was a reason why some of the riders, potentially even including Evan Nepal, had a hard time doing accelerations after being in the wheel of that of that turn. He did super impressive. I mean, he's a massive talent. He's only you know, he's the same age as Healy. He's 22 years yeah, old. Yeah, he's someone who rode, raced quite a lot against Remco as a, even as a junior. Yeah, so very. Uh, it puts in a, a, an interest. I mean, this race is still so long, but it's it's definitely also I think uh, and. A good thing for Roglic to know that he has someone who can do that because let's say that 
it's a reduced group at a later point and it, he has to do all the work, well then he also has to be very sure that Remco is on a bad day because else it could actually turn against him. Well, I think Jumbo Visma will be in the spotlight certainly over the next few days, won't they, Brian? We'll find out more about how strong they actually are. But in that light, well, the last rider that they called upon a week ago now was the young Englishman Thomas Gloke. And, well, we covered that last week, didn't we? Um, him having 50 notifications, 50-odd notifications on his phone. Um, I think he was out, was he out shopping or training? Training, I think. And he came back and he was rushed to the Giro d'Italia. Had been with the team at the Sierra Nevada, he trained with them, but was not exactly ready physically or mentally, um, or not in the way that he would have liked for his first Grand Tour. However, a week on, he's still here, still fighting, and I spoke to him this morning in... Where were we this morning, Brian? We were in Terni. La chiacchierata del giorno. The chin wag of the day. doing a really good job so yeah I mean I'm feeling better every day I still haven't really properly tested myself against the field but we have plenty of days for that coming up so time last week when you well you had that crazy start to the race I think I asked you you know what the team expects from you have you noticed that as they've seen you maybe get better every day they're starting to ask more and maybe put more demands on you yeah I think that I think that's natural and I'm, I think actually now as the race gets harder and harder as the weeks go on I think it's more natural selection and it's almost like you kind of give everything you've got you know and today is starting to be like that you know really hard finals so yeah we'll see we'll see what happens and you know if I, hopefully I'm good and I can help the team and that's the plan so and how would you compare your level of fatigue to uh, you've done one week stage races already haven't yeah. you um, how are you feeling compared to other experiences of one week consecutive racing yeah it's a good question it's it's, um it's so strange because of the way that i came into the race like you know before when you have kind of like expectations of how things are going to go and really you know normally i've really analyzed the stage profiles before and gone like you know i have an idea in my head of how to i expect to feel at each stage whereas here every day i i kind of wake up and then i find out what's happening so it's it's a it's a very different experience and i can't really compare the two to be honest so who are you rooming with tom uh we all have single rooms so who is is there anyone in particular that's giving you really useful advice this week a, a rider or ds yeah i think to the whole environment in general actually everyone's super relaxed and that always helps especially for a young guy first grand tour so not everyone's been really really good you know we have a super experienced team two neo pros me and my me and michelle but everyone else has kind of been here and done done all of this nonsense quite a few times so so last thing i talked about the demands and the things being asked of you what has been asked of you today for example yeah good question i think we expect a really hard finale um as, as you can see it's kind of just up and down the whole last 50k into that into that finishing circuit so yeah really be in position and and, and you know if we if we're all there really try and take an advantage of a situation and yeah i think it's one of those days where you want to be on the front foot with those descents and the climbs so yeah if i can help the team be on the front foot then i think i've had a good day well brian just looking at where thomas glow came in today um he looked pretty bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when i saw him at the finish and just checking he was at 88th um came in safely in one of the sort of gruppettos um brian there's a link between thomas glow and our stage winner today isn't there i believe 
Yeah, they there is they both rode <coughs> for the same team, Trinity Road Racing, at the so-called uh, Baby Giro, it's a nickname, Giro Ciclistica d'Italia, where Thomas Pitcock won. And they were actually only three guys left. So it was Tom Pitcock, Gloke and Ben Healy. And he, he really uh, praised the camaraderie they had and he said it was one of the important learning uh, periods for him as a as a as a bike rider, and uh, what an incredible young generation of of British riders you we have for uh, the for the coming yeah, years. Uh, uh, he's Irish. He's Irish, Brian. Don't make that mistake. Well, I was referring People to Glog and Pitcock. Uh, okay. People will get very upset. Um, Brian, what an extraordinary ride! What courage it took! What boldness it took! to when he was, I think, on paper, the strongest rider in the group. Okay, it was a very hard, hard start to the stage and he expended a lot of energy. So, you know, perhaps he was worried about taking his breakaway companions to the final climbs. But to strike out with 50-something kilometers to yeah, go. Yeah, and, and before the, the big climb, you know, it was the first time up Cappuccini that, that he went. And then he just basically, his gap just got bigger and bigger. So, I mean, he's just such a, also in the press conference, he's just such a really good talker, classy rider. He got a bit of criticism on Italian TV for his style of riding, uh, which is great. But it's also, if you win a stage like this, it's bullshit. I mean, that it's, you're classy if you do that. You know, and if you feel like you want to look, uh, look in the mirror whenever you're riding past something, you probably have, you know, you probably have your head somewhere else. I'm not, I'm not saying where. And I just, I just think he was, yeah. It's from what he's done this spring already. I mean, the, the massive revelation with him in, you know, he, he fifty some fifty days ago he won uh, a race in Tuscany, didn't he? And then that second place in Amstel. What a what a bright future! And I think it's pretty obvious that he's not done impressing us here this Giro. No, we've seen over the last few years, we've seen Grand Tours where one of that type of rider, sort of hybrid type of rider, who's not really a GC guy, not a sprinter, um, they found themselves in a rich vein of form and they've had multiple opportunities and I could see him winning again. Um, there, are, there aren't a lot of opportunities like today, but he clearly, I mean, what makes it doubly impressive, I think, is that he probably had four or five stages underlined and he'd... Uh, by his own admission sort of messed up is too strong a word but as he said to us the other day uh, on the state of Lago Lacino he was sort of kicking himself afterwards because he hadn't gone about getting into the breakaway in the right way he'd attacked too many times and showed his cards in too obvious a sort of manner today he succeeded in getting into the break it's a quick learning curve well it is today uh, he got into that break and well he certainly he certainly didn't overthink things and he used his natural ability we know he's a great time trialist which sort of belies his build um he's he's quite a small well he's a very light rider for a, a time trial specialist but he's irish champion and it's got rich pedigree time trialing and well he made it look quite simple didn't he which it certainly was not and those were strong riders behind him and even if there were few glitches in their collaboration it was a wholehearted effort, especially uh, towards the end. Yeah, it's just, what a ride. Well, Brian, let's hear a little bit more about it from one of his well, jubilant director sportifs at the finish today. Another of them was Matty Brescia, your compatriot. He was certainly, well, he had a big smile on his face, as you can imagine. But I spoke to the American director sportif, former rider, of course, TJ Van Garderen. 
about exactly how they masterminded his victory today. So he's TJ. Yeah, he's uh, he's hard to hold back. I, we were trying to make a tactic and trying to think things through, and he, I think if you if you overthink it with him, then that's almost a detriment. He just has to he just has to improvise and go on feeling, and he did that today, and it, it worked out beautifully. I spoke to him after the Lago Lachino stage, and he sort of realized where well, he felt he'd made a bit of a mistake attacking too many times, and maybe he should have gone fewer times and gone harder. Looks as though he learned the lesson today. Yeah, no, he was definitely smarter about how he went about getting in the break. Obviously, I mean, anyone watching could see that it was just him with three other guys there for the longest time, just dangling at 20 seconds, not really sure if he was going to get away. So I was, I was nervous that if he gets caught, he's going to be, he's going to be toast for the rest of the day. Thankfully, it finally got away. Uh, the group of 11, and he just. I'm, I just can't believe he had the energy to pull that off in the end after such a hard start. And as a DS, are you nervous when he takes the initiative that early? Because he looked as though he was the strongest guy. He maybe he could have dropped them on the final climb, waited a bit longer. And I guess he was taking a bit of a risk going with 50 to go. It was a risk, but at the same time, I told him on the course that it's not one you need to hesitate much on. Because uh, it's either so steep up or steep down. It's technical. There's not really a lot of room to get an organized chase going. So um, so I told him, wait the first climb and see how people are. Kind of get a sense of what the, what the situation is, who has good legs, who's looking good. And then you're free to go. But, you know, he just went, he just went the first climb. So. <laughs> and just finally, with the kit he had on and the setup, it looked like he was ready to ride a 50K time trial. I mean, he couldn't have been more aero. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a time trial specialist at heart. I mean, he's like a time trialer who's, who moonlights as an Ardennes Classics rider. And I don't know, maybe someday he's going to do GC. We don't know. I mean, I have no idea how he's going to develop. But, uh, no, he's very detail-oriented. He's very aerodynamically focused. And, I mean, he, you can see how it's paid off. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly... It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage... Yesterday's dinner. Brian, last night we were in L'Aquila. Beautiful L'Aquila. Uh, L'Aquila, which of course was struck by a devastating earthquake in 2009. The rebuilding process, the reconstruction is very much still ongoing, isn't it? If you, the, the skyline of L'Aquila is very much dominated by cranes. But what has been rebuilt is beautiful, isn't it? It's absolutely stunning. So what a heartbreaking 
place it was just a few years ago and to see it now one thing is that the the beauty of the buildings they're they're redoing but i think also the the atmosphere was really nice we saw a lot of people out we saw a lot of people smiling a lot of young families which is always important i think for a small italian town yeah it was, it was a real joy and, and uh, we had a dinner a special dinner planned that had been in the books for a very long time Yes, we were meeting with, as I said yesterday, our old friend, the former acting ambassador of the United States, Tom Smitham, and his wife, Alex. And Brian, what did we have for dinner? What did we have? We had a, a bit of a mix of antipasti, uh, a lot of cheese in those. I had a, a spaghetti tagliatelle type of pasta with cod, piselli, very wholesome, nothing that I would... That would send me to the hospital like <laughs> like the other night. And we had a delightful local Abruzzese wine, a Trebbiano, from the one of the icons of natural wine production, Ermedio Pepe, where you we stayed, I believe, a few years ago. We did, a couple of years ago. ago. We also treated ourselves to Brunello after that, didn't we? Yeah, um, we did. We did. Brian, um, trying I, to not I, make it sound like we're having a ball. Well, yes. Brian, I, I enjoyed L'Aquila because I, I love those cities, those towns. Uh, you, you might, you're going to wince at this, but at the foot of, sort of, they, they already have a slightly kind of high altitude, high mountain feel. L'Aquila is one. Gra uh, Granada in Spain is another. Even uh, Briançon in France. Sort of around, <laughs> Brian's just gone cross-eyed. Um, but they're all about 800 to 1,000 meters above Madrid, sea level. Madrid is also yes, very, much so, very much so. And I start to feel that thin air. It starts to get into my lungs and I start to, you know, um, my mood just naturally. Oops. Um, you should some, move to Medellin or Bogotá. Yes, <laughs> I should, Brian. Brian, um, tomorrow's stage, talking about things that are going to brighten our mood. Um, talk, talk to us about the time trial. Not traditionally our favorite stages, but tomorrow should be a cracker because it's beautifully poised on the Giro d'Italia. So, Daniel, tomorrow is one of the most important stages of this year's Giro. There's no anti-climax as the race stands with a 35-kilometer TT from Saviano sul Rubicone to Cesena. It's flat as a piedina, which is also the name of this. I actually had one of those today, a small piece at least, while you were working. Sort of a savory pancake, pancake, like a luxury crepe. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. There are three time checks, and I'm mentioning those because it will be very in interesting to see where the GC favorites will be basically comparing each other. It's a 13 and 23 and 39 kilometers. Even if Legnason starts last, I don't think anyone, including himself, expects him to keep the pink jersey. I think the question is rather how much time the other GC contenders will lose to him in the pole. And with what happened today, didn't it did, that did not make this perspective any less interesting. Brian, Lechnison, I mean, we should, before we just talk about tomorrow's uh, time trial, we should really doff our caps. Uh, you are actually wearing a, a US Open winged foot cap 2020, and very nice it is too. We should doff our cap to uh, Andres Lechnison. Um, he did an extraordinary ride today, sort of proving what we have said about him, that this isn't just a rider who's found himself in the pink jersey by chance, by luck, by fluke. And this is a, a young rider with a lot of potential and a big future. He's eight seconds. He's got eight seconds over Remco Avenapol. Um, I spoke to a couple of people from DSM. I spoke to Matt Winston, his director sportif this evening. And they certainly don't expect him to keep the pink jersey tomorrow. But do not make the mistake of considering his Giro d'Italia over after tomorrow. Um, I think that they will look to get him in breaks again. They might even look to reclaim the pink jersey. Who knows if Remco Evenepoel has the pink jersey at the end of tomorrow's stage. He may want to give it, again, uh, give it away again 
Uh, although, Brian, you think that if he does take it tomorrow, that's definitive then and his team well there's no more bluffing there's no more wishy-washy sort of we'll loan it for a couple of days you not think a, no, they not have to step opinion. up there's actually a, a connection to you know the starting town of the Titis uh, Savignano sul Rubicone and Rubicone is the famous river Rubicon and you know the expression crossing the Rubicon basically in ancient history is uh, the legend of Julius Caesar crossing it to return to Rome with his army, which was basically declaring war. And so crossing the Rubicon is a point of no return. And I think if Remco Evenepoel is in the pink jerseys more, it is the point of no return. Then he has to defend it throughout because that whole yo-yoing and trying to pass it on to another one, it can be a quite dangerous game, especially with uh, the rivals being so close to him at the moment. And uh, yeah, so I mean, one one element of Julius Caesar crossing the Rubicon is that he. Some say, some historians say that he he said the phrase "alea inacta est" the die is cast. So it will be very interesting to see if the die will be cast by Remco Evenepoel tomorrow and what that will mean for the rest of the race. Well, Brian, we've heard about the we've heard a bit about the route. I mean, it's flat, isn't it? As you said, um, let's just look. Let's just spend a few, a couple of minutes thinking about well, what we think is likely to happen, uh, particularly with regard to well, the riders that we've identified as the the main favourites for this Giro d'Italia. Remco, as you said earlier, he's 30 seconds now ahead of Primoz Roglic. Joao Almeida is another two seconds further back from Roglic. Then come Thomas and Gagan Hart. Now. Take, let's take those five. Do we think that we will see a similar hierarchy to the one we saw in the opening time trial? Because on paper, tomorrow's time trial should not be that different. No, no, it shouldn't. I mean, it's hard to really judge or have something definitive to say about the accumulated fatigue in, in at this stage of the race. We've mainly talked about accumulated fatigue on Remco's around Remco's teammates or the lack of support that Roglic might see himself with. If we hadn't seen what we saw today with Remco and if he'd basically done what he could have done yesterday if the stage had been harder, we probably, some would probably have the feeling that he could basically shut down the Giro tomorrow with it going into the rest of the race with a two-minute lead. He would have to crack completely for anyone else to win it. I have a feeling... And it's just a feeling, and, and what are those at the end? But I have a sense that he's not going to take out two minutes of Roglic tomorrow. I, yeah, and they, I mean, they're starting right next to each other in the sense that Remco starts second last and Roglic third last. So Roglic will have, um, they'll both have some references of how they're doing, and I'm not sure it, it's that important tomorrow. But with a flat time trial, taking two minutes, there's some not that many technical sections, but I, I don't see him taking more than two minutes. And if he takes more than, if he takes two minutes, he goes well, into the rest of the race. Mi- who is suggesting that he might well, take I'm, two I'm, minutes? Well, it's based on what we saw on the opening time trial, where Roglic was somewhat off the boil, and usually because of his aerodynamic, he probably has one of the most aerodynamic positions in in in, in this time of of modern cycling so the longer it is the better the better his advantage could be 
So that 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 was just my hunch when we got into the Giro, and, and I think it's one the one that people said when this Giro parcours was presented last year that this is the reason why he's here, because it's the it's the Grand Tour with the most uh, time trial kilometers. If he does take two minutes, Brian, I will have serious concerns that Primoz Roglic does have COVID because that's that's a lot. Um, and tomorrow, as well, we've sort of alluded to, I mean, it is quite similar to the first time trial. It is primarily a test of aerodynamics. Well, it's a test of aerodynamics and power. Of course it is. But, um, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. I don't think to sort of reprise our cliche from a couple of, Days ago, you can you can't win the Giro on the Gran Sasso d'Italia, but you know we'll find out who can lose it. I actually don't think we will find out who has lost the Giro d'Italia tomorrow because I don't see Joao Almeida, Geraint Thomas, or Teo Gegenhart playing themselves out of contention tomorrow. No, no, no of course um, not. I think it's going to be too fast, and the route is ultimately too flat for that. Brian, um, a rider whose time trial tomorrow is really going to intrigue me, um, uh, whose whole Giro is. Um, well, I said in our preview episode, will intrigue me. I'm really keen to see how he gets on over the three weeks. Jay Vine, UAE Team Emirates. He's 14th on general classification. Um, two minutes, 27 down on Leknesund. And, well, a couple of days ago, he penned a new contract with UAE. He's going to be there now until 2027. Of course, he only joined the team at the start of the year. And, Brian, this morning in Terni, I spoke to him about that new contract and also about tomorrow's time trial. Here's Jay Vine. Well, first of all, congratulations on the new contract, Jay. Um, I mean, is that something that was vaguely on the radar even when you joined the team at the start of the year that you thought that it might lead to, well, what's happened over the last week? No, I thought I was going to retire. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best teams in the world. Why would I want to extend as soon as possible? Um, this board is all about not having security and, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that, you know, if there's 200 grand on the table and I've got 50 grand in my box to risk it all and take 10 grand at the end of the uh, two years, no, I, I want to, I want to take the deal because I want security. Yeah. And it's part of well that long-term deal as well. I mean, how far ahead does the plan go in terms of you know what you're going to be doing next year in terms of races, the year after that, or is it sort of one year at a time? Um, I think Grand Tours are what I'm sort of built for, so. Hopefully, Grand Tours is part of the plan, but no, we don't. Like anything could happen. I don't. I don't even know if my schedule for the rest of this year might go ahead. At this point, um, long-term planning in this sport is just not possible. You know, I could get sick tomorrow. I could crash and break a leg. So, who knows? And have you found the racing in the first week and your form? Um, it's been pretty hard. Um, that coupled with the weather conditions, it's yeah been a bit tricky racing. Um, but yeah, the form's there. I was pretty happy with how the training went before the race and yeah it's been pretty good so far and well how are you thinking about personal goals for the GC I mean obviously you've got Almeida riding high as well but are you still very much on some parallel paths at the moment you, you've got freedom as well yeah absolutely I mean uh, yeah nothing nothing's changed there I'm still trying to trying to do a GC I'm significantly down now after mechanical and the crash on stage 6 or whatever it was but um yeah, it's, it is what it is, and the Giro is really long and hard. And just last thing, Jay, obviously you've got the time trial tomorrow. It's been a bit of a feature of your season, the great time trials you've been doing. I mean, how much have you enjoyed the process of really kind of getting into the weeds with time trialing? I, I love it. I've, I've always liked uh, time trialing. Um, 
even if even if they were only on road bikes back in the uh, the amateur scene in Australia. So, yeah, the the pacing, the the planning, the 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 route, the route recons. Um, you know, even though until this year I haven't gone full gas in a time trial, I'd still did all the prep the morning of you know, going and doing the recon, the warm up, all the all the protocols with uh, with Alperson. So, you know, I was I was still really involved. It just it's really good to be able to uh, have the confidence that you know you're going to go really fast and at the end of the day you can't blame your equipment um so yeah well brian that is just about it from us for today we are heading up the coast we're heading out of le marque we're heading into emilia romagna we're rattling through these regions now aren't we um, as I said yesterday, we've really left the... Four regions in one day. Yes, we've crossed the Rubicon as well as far as leaving the south behind is concerned. We won't be going back to the south on this Giro d'Italia. And um, yes, we will be back in well, this Techno Gym village. Techno Gym, of course, many people will remember, was a co-sponsor of the MG team in the 1990s. And I don't like neither techno nor gyms. <laughs> okay. Not my kind of place. So they have some kind of big campus not far from Chisina. So it'll be interesting to get a look at that tomorrow. And that's where we'll be coming from on tomorrow's episode of Cycling Podcast. It's Buonasera from me. Buonasera. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freib and Lionel Byrne. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.